Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. We also have our baby with us. You might hear her a little bit. Yeah. If you hear any cooing, that's almost certainly our baby and not, I don't know, our dog. Or us. So uh, we're here to talk about episode 17 of Farscape. Through the Looking Glass. Season 1. Yes. So. You didn't care for this episode. I did not like this episode. It's one of those episodes where you're very, very aware that they had a set amount of time they needed to fill. Interesting. And it's like, oh, John has to, you know, run from dimension to dimension, and it's taking him forever to figure out what's going on, and this whole thing really could have been solved in, like, five minutes and didn't need to happen at all, and... This is going to seem like a totally random tangent, but, you know, now that we have a daughter, we've been revisiting a lot of old Disney movies, Mm -hmm. and... On Friday, we watched Beauty and the Beast. Yes. And I was thinking as I was watching it, that is a really tightly scripted movie. That is really well paced. Yeah. Like, no time is wasted. Events lead naturally into one another, and everything that's on screen contributes to your understanding of different characters and their motivations. Everything moves the plot forward. I mean, there's a reason it was nominated for an Oscar before they, you know... Nominated for Best Picture even before they created the animated uh, thing so they wouldn't have to acknowledge that. Yeah, I mean, they created animated Oscars, the Best Animated Film Oscars, specifically in response to that film being nominated, which is ridiculous because that movie, that was up there with Best Film, you know, that just beautifully animated, well plotted. And let's not get into the BS where they just like give the best animated oscar to disney every yeah i mean you remember the thing when frozen came out like a bunch of the judges admitted to not watching the other animated movies i'm assuming there was an overhaul because spider-verse won i was gonna say into the spider-verse did win and i can't see into the spider-verse having been nominated for best picture because it's just too experimental Mm. as far as best pictures go so i mean Oscars are nonsense anyway. Let's, let's not even worry about that. There's, right. there's a whole Adam Ruins everything you can watch about that, which is really good. Have you seen that one? I don't think I've seen Adam Ruins the Oscars, but I do know one of the film podcasts I used to listen to did a thing where they would talk about Oscars from 10 years previously on the assumption that you really need a, some distance from a film to adequately judge it. So they would talk about every year they would talk about whatever films had come out 10 years previously and like redo the oscars as as they should have been that kind of sucks for comedies because comedies tend to age really really poorly but i guess comedies aren't normally nominated for oscars either yeah do you remember that there was like this really long stretch of time which i think is over now but maybe not where it felt like comedies weren't being scripted anymore Oh, yeah, the Judd Apatow era. Yeah, that's that's 100% Judd Apatow. Which, I liked his first few, few movies, but then it's like, oh, look, we put Tina Fey and Amy Poehler in a movie, and they're both really funny, so we don't have to give them anything to say, and then it's just... Well, it's also the result of an era where a bunch of improv comedians came to prominence. You think they'd be better at it. I don't want to seem like I'm picking on Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. It was basically all comedies in that era mm-hmm. were just, were recording funny actors and were just letting them do whatever they want for long stretches of time. I think maybe it doesn't work with movies necessarily. I, I don't know. I mean, 
famously Anchorman has so much improv that there's a second cut of Anchorman that's completely different just because they use different takes. I honestly didn't think Anchorman was that funny. Okay, Anchorman is objectively funny. It's been a while since I've seen it. I know Anchorman 2 definitely wasn't funny. So one of the things I've read about there being less comedies produced now because they don't tend to earn, you know, they're not huge earners. Well, and you can't really bring them overseas. Yeah. So people are making less and less comedies and stuff like the MCU movies don't need them. Like they're kind of shoveling, uh, they're kind of shoving comedies out the door because they're funny enough. Mm -hmm. You know, there are jokes enough in MCU movies to make you laugh. So they're kind of taking up the space that would normally be taken up by comedies, which, you know, look at Guardians of the Galaxy has brought us back to Farscape. Oh, look at that. Okay, so this episode, Through the Looking Glass, was directed by Ian Watson, who has directed a lot of my least favorite episodes of season one. Mm-hmm. He he directed They've Got a Secret, Ugh. and he directed Jeremiah Crichton. Ugh. And I, oh, the reverse it. I, I disliked They've Got a Secret more than Jeremiah Crichton. Because really? Because stuff happened in Jeremiah Crichton. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, They've Got a Secret is nothing happens for 40 odd minutes and then it turns out Dargo has a kid. But like jumping ahead... He's going to he's going to direct Crackers Don't Matter and Out of Their Minds. Uh, uh, oh, and the locket. Gosh, I don't know. Maybe maybe season 1 just wasn't his season. Hmm. I I guess I guess that's what I'll say. Uh also this episode was written by David Kemper. Uh this is the first solo credit we have with David Kemper, but he also wrote Rhapsody in Blue, which we've already covered. Yeah, which is solid. I like that episode. Okay, honestly, though, I, I also have to say, I, I like this episode, too. All right, so the episode opens mid-argument. Okay, when I told you why I liked this episode, you argued that it's too late for them to be doing this. Yeah. So they're arguing about staying on Moya. A bunch of them are deciding they're going to leave Moya because, you know, she's a pregnant leviathan. She can't even really starburst well, So, which is the only thing she does. And they're being chased, so maybe they should... Are they... Are they... When was the last time we saw What's-His-Bucket? Grace? Yeah. Okay, I guess it has been a while. Also, if they're being chased by someone, is it a good idea to just get off on some planet? Well, they're in the Uncharted Territories. They're outside of Peacekeeper jurisdiction. As long as they're not on a planet where Grace physically is, or has put one of those little recorder thingies with his bounty on it, they're okay. But to quote The Simpsons... Why now? Why not 20 years ago? Okay, so I like this episode because this is the episode where everyone makes the choice to stay on Moya. We talked before in an earlier episode about how how Aaron is the only one who's chosen to be on Moya. Everyone else is just there because of, you know, accidents of... Fate. Yes. And this is the episode where everyone else decides, you know what? This is This is our home. We are going to stay here. But when I brought that up, you pointed out that... We've already had the episode in Jeremiah Crichton where they spend three months looking for John. And also, you didn't bring this up, but we've also had a human reaction where they sped off to go look for John. Yeah, and it's also been the subtext of, like, Rhapsody in Blue and the one, like, thank God it's Friday again. I mean, I've brought it up, but it is true that 
and I, this is the thing I kind of like about this show because it's so ridiculous, but that we will have a thing where a crew member decides to leave and then for no reason, everyone else will look around and go, we have to go find Dargo or we have to go find John for no reason. Like they left for reasons. You don't need to go find them. I'm not thrilled to hear that there's a lot more of that because it feels like something they've already run into the ground by this point. Well, they don't mean it as a joke. It's more like the crew separates for logical reasons and then they're like, well, we need to get the crew back together because it's a TV show. But it makes it feel like they only have like four scripts that they're just cycling between. Like, oh no, Dargo wants to stay on Farm Planet. Oh no, Zan wants to stay on Blue Farm Planet. Oh no, John wants to stay on weird regressive politics planet well it's not so farm much planet it's not so much well, it was more of a fishing planet yes I, that's why i didn't put farm in originally but i wanted to keep the flow of them just using the same script over and over again and flipping which character it applies to it's not so much that that's going to be a full episode later as it is that that's going to be how they deal with crew members leaving like a crew member will leave at the end of a season and the next season will open with them fetching that crew member back. Mm. And then we'll get an episode that's not related to fetching the crew member back. Because they'll go to one of the other few plots. You know, I think this show is going to start surprising you. I hope so. I'm also disappointed this is the second episode we get with Chiana because I really, really liked her intro episode. I think it was one of the strongest ones we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't around for the last episode, which was fine. She mm-hmm. would have been kind of an awkward fit. But the the fact that the next episode to have her as a major character in it is another everyone's getting a high episode. Like, she's a cool character, but it feels like they don't give her anything to do here. Well, they are still working out what Chiana is, how she's going to slot into the crew. Although I will say one of her lines in this episode is a classic Chiana line. So, John, after his adventures in Hallucination Land last episode, is like, no, we can't leave. We're found family and all that jazz. Although I do like that the other crew members point out that, yeah, he's going to say it's found family, but really it's because Moya can find wormholes better than other ships, and that's his big thing. Yeah. I mean, if he wanted to find wormholes, though, he could have just chilled out on uh, that awesome mechanic lady's planet. Yeah. Aaron also wants to stay on Moya, but Aaron wants to stay on Moya because she has a connection. Which makes sense. Remember, she's still got some of Pilot's DNA. She has a deeper connection to the ship than anyone else. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it, it works for Aaron. It's kind of funny because Aaron was here because she had no choice. Mm-hmm. You know, exiled from the Peacekeepers, blah, blah, blah. But now she has this really deep connection to the ship. And she's got these, like, roots in the way that the others don't. I guess it also helps that she was never held prisoner on Moya. Yeah, probably. I, I like, too, she's a peacekeeper, so she's from, you know, the the most evil race of all the races represented on this ship currently. Mm. With the possible exception of the Nabari, but Chiana is a rebel Nabari, so. I mean, Rigel's people don't seem particularly great either. Well, what I was going to say is Aaron is the one making the argument that they shouldn't be treating Moya like an inanimate object. She is a living thing. Mm. And hey, look. Aaron's one of the more human-looking members of the cast. Hmm. Okay. I'm just saying narrative kind of sways towards humanity, which makes sense. I guess that that's true. Also, by the way, it's not really mentioned, but while this scene is happening, they're all having this huge meal where 
apparently everyone has tried to make like traditional food of their mm. of their species for everyone else to enjoy. John tried to make fried chicken, but there's no chicken in space, so apparently it's disgusting. <laughs> I like it though. This is again, they're trying to form themselves into a cohesive unit. Even as the majority of them are arguing that they're not obligated to be a unit and it makes more sense for most of them to leave Moya. Hmm. But as they're making that argument, the the scene itself is showing that they have already made the choice. Like, they say that they should do the logical thing and get off Moya, but they've already made the choice to create a found family here Hmm. on the ship. Honestly, it, it doesn't make sense for Dargo to ditch Moya either. I mean, I guess if he just went to another transport vehicle. But the fact that he's specifically looking for, like, his son, it doesn't make sense for him to just stay on a commerce planet. Well, I think the point is to get off on a commerce planet and then book a ship, mm. you know. Like, they're, they're going to go to a hive of scum and villainy and find their own Han Solos. Mm. So this conversation is interrupted. Because they don't want to be a family unit. They want to be alone, like Han Solo, which is how he got his last name in that terrible movie. Solo is bad, y'all. It's so bad. They spend the first, like, 40 minutes of it doing a heist that doesn't affect the rest of the plot at all. Well, what's terrible is Solo is a bad movie. And the best part of it is Donald Glover as Lando. You could have done a Lando movie. It was right there. What bothers me about it is that they had Lord and Miller. Like, Lord and Miller had a thing, but they're like, well, this is too comedic. We need it to be. But what we were talking about before, right? Why does every movie have to be just like bloated action sequences? Why can't we have a little levity? Yeah. So anyway, Moya has overheard them talking about, you know, wanting to leave because she's all around them. I I like to, Chiana keeps trying to interrupt and they're all like, Chiana, you have no skin in the game. You just got here. Shut up, Chiana. And finally when she, she's like, yeah, I've been trying to tell you guys, Moya can hear us. We're inside of her. Has no one else watched 2001? (laughs) And Pilot comes onto his clamshell and tells them, you know, Moya does not want to be alone. Like, she's designed, like, designed, she's evolved to transport people, and she finds it comforting, and she doesn't want them to leave, so to prove that she can still keep them safe, she's gonna starburst right now, even though she's about 50 hours away from being able to starburst. 90 CGI, ahoy! Yeah, yeah. So, Moya Starburst, and I I love that everybody tries to keep acting like things are normal. They're, like, going through terrible, terrible turbulence, and they're like, so, tell me about this food we're eating. It's, it's, it's interesting. And then they have one of those things where everyone has to just kind of hurl themselves in different directions. Yeah, yeah. Moya crashes? I mean, she doesn't really crash, because there's nothing to crash into, but... Moya has the space burps. Yeah. And everyone goes flinging into different directions yes moya hits a moya hits a bout of space turbulence moya hits a space pothole yes <laughs> like that one episode of star trek uh the next generation i don't remember which one it was but they hit a space pothole and one of the crewmen got like partially phased through the floor and i'm like you know my thing about star trek where i want to show it's about the people who have to tell the ensigns families the super embarrassing ways that they died 
I just want a show about whose ever job that is. It's, it's, it's a dark idea for a show. But they die in such stupid ways. It's up. Oh, Wesley forgot to put his science project away and it became sentient and ate half the ship. Whoopsie doodles. Yeah, that literally does happen. That's true. Or, uh-oh, Riker got really into a phone game and now people are, you know, walking into <laughs> black holes. Oh my gosh. Yep, death by Candy Crush. Yeah, that also literally does happen. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Data was looking at naughty websites and now he's just strangling people all over the place. Okay, that one you made up. Yes. I Honestly, I don't really remember a lot of the plots of Star Trek. I mean, I remember that the... Oh, the sex ghost. Did the sex ghost kill anyone? It tried. It shot green lightning at people, but I don't think it was fatal. The sex ghost did not kill anyone, no. Oh, Q killed uh, that dude in the first episode. Okay, but Q isn't an embarrassing way to tell people that they died. You say, we we ran into an alien race that are literally gods, and one of them killed your relative. Like, that's, that's not embarrassing. It's weird that people don't bring that up more when Q's around. That he's literally a god? No, that he froze a dude to death in the first... The first time he appeared, he froze a dude and shattered him. And later, he, you know, he's like, Pip, Pip, let's go on a shirtless beach adventure, Picard. And Picard's like, mm, grumpy cat face. Well, Q is interesting because he's a character who is essentially a Greek god in, in that he's capricious and dangerous and sometimes on humanity's side and sometimes not, just literally depending on his mood. And so you kind of want to keep him placated, but also you never forget that he's an enemy who could just freeze you that, that's why Q's an interesting antagonist i'm just saying can you imagine having to go to some lady's house and be like hey i'm sorry but some guy dressed up like shakespeare and then did a bunch of silly voices and then murdered your husband and now him and the captain are playing beach volleyball or, or they're pretending to be robin hood and the merry men yeah like i'm sorry i feel like there should be a bunch of ensigns who are super honked off at Q. i'm sure there are in fact, I know there are. Okay, so when we're done with this podcast, uh, new podcast, Welcome to the Q Continuum, where we only do Q episodes. And also the Q tie-in novels. God. Q in Law is a classic Q tie-in novel. That's the one where Q starts dating Luxana Troy. You know, we're actually going to have an opening for this because he plays one of the elders later in Charmed. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, John Delancey. Oh, John Delancey. Uh, and actually, honestly, no, I'm, I'm serious about this. Welcome to, I, like, we joke about other podcasts when we go off on our tangents. But seriously, welcome to the Q Continuum. Go, we're, it's going to happen. And also, you're going to read Q Squared and be like, why is this a genuinely good book? What is happening? I don't know. You know my feelings on sci-fi. You're not a big fan? I'm not a big fan. I know. That's why I'm making you watch Farscape. It, it, this is this whole podcast is about me trying to convince you to like sci-fi. Uh. Speaking of sci-fi, and actually, more specifically speaking of Farscape, John lands on top of Aaron because of course he does. Oh, come on. If, I'm assuming there is, but if one is doing a drinking game of Farscape, John falls on top of Aaron or Aaron falls on top of John is the Giles cleans his glasses. Yes, okay, I like that, I like that analogy. Which is how you play the Buffy drinking game if you want to get smashed. Yeah. So... When they all kind of pulled themselves together after the sci-fi crash where they had to throw themselves around, mm -hmm. Pilot is gone. He's not in his clamshell. And 
Zan is injured, and she says the fibers in her arm are torn because she is a plant creature. She does not have bones. Mm. I appreciate that. I wish we got a little more of Zan hating on uh She's so unnecessarily mean to Chiana last episode and this episode. I did not remember the weird Zan-Chiana antagonism. Like, why? I don't know, but I love it. Okay, wait, I, I just said why, but now I'm going to present a theory. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Zan... Plants don't like cats. Ooh. Okay, no, my theory is, is not that. My theory is Zan is a character who presents herself as a moral authority, but really is an amoral anarchist. Mm-hmm. And Chiana is an anarchist. Chiana is ju- just as Zan is, but doesn't pretend to be anything else. And I think that threatens Zan. I think she finds that threatening. I can see that. So, pilot's missing, Zan's injured, and there's a bright white light coming from all sides. I guess they were eating at, like, one of the windows? Well, there are windows in the kitchen area where they eat. It's weird. I mean, I guess it's not given how big Moya is, but you think most of the stuff would be... On the inside? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the bowels, so to speak. Well, it would make sense that... The places that are meant to be social, like a kitchen where you're meant to congregate and eat, would be placed on the outer parts of Moya specifically so that you could put it near the windows. Just like in Star Trek Next Generation, 10 forward, it's 10 forward because it's at the very front of the 10th deck, specifically where all of the big windows are because that's where you want to socialize. Well, I was thinking more this was a prison ship. I mean, I know... They imprisoned people on it, but... It's not necessarily a prison ship. Well, no, no, it was a prison ship, but it's not... Remember, Leviathans are living creatures. She she didn't grow to be a prison ship. That's just what the peacekeepers used her for after they captured her. Mm. And even though they kept prisoners here, the crew still socialized. Like, the peacekeepers who lived on her probably gathered in that room and hung out, too. Is that how peacekeepers work? Peacekeepers are social, yeah. Well, I mean, I do know that they have the cohesive unit thing, because Aaron's talked about that. Yeah, I imagine peacekeepers are more social even than humans, that they they do more socializing activities. Anyway, so everyone goes off on their separate missions. Yeah, Dargo is going to go get some answers, and when he storms off, he gets, like, sucked into a beam of red light, which is not good. Nobody, nobody, nobody likes that. And Aaron takes off and she gets sucked into a beam of blue light, which is also bad. Mm -hmm. It just, it's not a good thing to be sucked into light. And I love how Chiana is like, this, this isn't, this isn't going well, is it? Yeah, Chiana's like, nope, don't like it. So John runs up to command and Pilot is in his clamshell up on command. Mm. And John's like, um, yeah, people are getting sucked into things and there's a giant light outside and, and, Pilot's like, yeah, we think it's a star, but we have no idea what's going on. And also, what do you mean people disappeared? And John's like, how many meetings does disappeared have? They disappeared. <laughs> so the space jargon is all over the space map. He's like, <laughs> it's all floopy. Everything's floopy. The readings are all over the place. There's no clear indication where they are or what's going on. It's almost as if pieces of Moya are in different dimensions and they can't, like, communicate. Yes, the DRDs are not having a good time right now. Yes. Now- It's never a good time to be a DRD, though. No, it's not. 
Now, Pilot is able to use the ship to sense where Aaron and Rigel and Dargo are, so John can theoretically go find them. Before he does that, though, he goes back to the dining room. We'll call it the dining room. Yeah, to check on Zan and, I guess, Tiana. Yeah, and they're fighting because they're fundamentally opposed to each other philosophically. Yeah, Zan's talking about, you know, how useless her arm is and, you know. Tiana's talking about how useless everything else she does is. (laughs) She hasn't been here very long. I know. So... John tries to give Chiana an order, and Chiana tells him to get Freld, because I guess Frel is just an all-purpose swear word. Yeah, just like fuck. Fuck is an all-purpose swear word. I guess. It feels weird. Like, at least frack worked more. Because Frel sounds just like, more like hell. Okay, well, you want to get into it? Sure. Here's the problem with Frel. Also, also, is the problem with Frel that it immediately brings you to Ella Enchanted? A book which had definitely come out by that point? No. No, the problem with Frell is that good swear words are Anglo-Saxon in origin, which means they have heavy K and C sounds. Mm-hmm. And Frell does not. That's why frack works and Frell does not. Like, it's, it's oh. literally a study of why one works and the other doesn't. You're right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Frell sounds, Frell sounds like it comes from a romance language. Good swears don't come from romance languages. Good swears come from Anglo-Saxon and Germanic languages. And that's that's that's, Com- that's just that's just facts. Comedy words and swears have hard hard, hard K sounds, yeah. 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 I don't know what to do with with no I we this is why Frel doesn't work. I don't know what to do with that knowledge. My cousin Keith got in a car accident. <laughs> and now he's in a coma. <laughs> anyway, Chiana's like, yeah. I'm going to take off on a pod. And John's like, did you want to be a member of the crew or not? Like I said, coming back to the theme of the episode. And she's like, I don't want to be dead, which, I mean, no offense, but why why do you think you'll do better just out in white space in a pod? Well, she's survived on her own this long. I mean, I know she got captured by the Nabari, but for the most part, she survived on her own this long. But John points out that as long as all of this stuff is going on and... Moya doesn't know what's happening. Moya's not going to be able to open the bay doors and let a transport out. So she may as well be on their crew. Yeah, like, you can't go anywhere. You might as well be useful. Yeah, so he sends her to the tier where Rigel is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be real fun for her, John. (laughs) And John goes looking for Aaron. So we get one of those, like, POV zoom-ins on John, like something from the ground is coming up at him. Like something is following him. Yeah. And there's like a weird shaking, and then John is sucked into the red light, which you'll remember is where we saw Dargo get sucked into. Mm. And when John gets sucked into the red light, it's affecting his vision. Like, he can't really look at the red light. It kind of reminds me of that thing in the, uh, second-ish episode, I want to say, where there was an alarm that was, like, hurting John. Yes, it, it, it affected him. I'm glad you brought that up because they do that again here, right? Like, the red light affects him to some extent, and we see that Chiana is less affected by the red light, but she's much, much more affected by the blue light. And mm. I like that the show remembers and will continue to remember that different alien species have different tolerances. Yeah. The show also does this weird, like, I, I like it, but 
the camera does a weird fast zoom on John's eye to show us that the pain, that the light is causing him pain. I think it's a I think it's an interesting shot. And Ben Browder gets to flail around like he does. Yes. You know Ben Browder loves to flail around. Yes. So red light pain, lots of, you know, dizzy shots. There's a lot of the kind of I don't know what you call like double exposure thing. Oh, uh, it's yeah, yeah, the the long exposure so that we see like all of John as he's flailing. No, no, like the overlay. Right. Like so you see John and then you see kind of an echo of what's happening over what's happening. Yeah, you have John trails. Yeah. So he is not having a fun time in the red light. And again, in the red light, Pilot is not showing up in his clamshell. So we see John finally decides that the best thing to do is going to be to put on a blindfold, which makes sense. And he goes down to where Pilot is, and there is, there's no Pilot. There's no Pilot in Pilot's den. Okay, this is kind of my issue with this episode. It's, It's just John going from one dimension to the next dimension to the next dimension trying to figure out what's happening until there's a giant, you know, exposition dump in the last five minutes, and then it ends, which was also kind of how the last episode went, but it was better because it had character work. Okay, well, last episode was not like that. Last episode was like a whole story about John going back to Earth. Yeah, you know, I don't know why I said that. I mean, I guess it's because everything was summed up very quickly in a five-minute exposition dump at the end, but... Yeah, the last episode was better because it had a whole narrative structure. It wasn't just farting around for 40 minutes and then John talks to a space whale for five minutes. So in this episode, the narrative structure is weaker because not a lot happens. But I feel like the thematic structure is better here. I mean, it opens with the crew thinking that they want to split off. And then they literally get split apart And they realize they don't want that. They all work together because at the end, the solution is going to be for all of them to simultaneously do the same combination of uh, commands in Pilot's Den. You've all seen that one episode of Rick and Morty. It's not quite like that. Like, they all get separated. Are you talking about the time episode? The one where they get split into the... Two halves of the screen, and they both have to push the button at the same time in order to remerge the timelines. Yeah, I mean, that's just one thing. That just happens over one second, and it doesn't work in Rick and Morty. Well, it works eventually. And it doesn't work until the time guy who's outside of time comes and fixes it. Remember Keegan-Michael Key? He's like, he's like, you tried to fix your, you tried to fix the broken time from inside of time. And then he has to give him all the callers. Right. But, I mean, it's the same basic premise of how they thought they were going to fix things in that episode. Yeah, they all have to hit the same button at the same time in all three dimensions. But, no, my that's the point, right? So they all have to, like, come together and work together, and then they realize that they want to be part of a cohesive crew. They don't want to be separated. So, yes, plot-wise, it's weaker, but I think theme-wise, it's, it's strong. Ideally, you'll have a human reaction where you have a strong theme and a strong plot, this one has a strong theme, but it's not Jeremiah Creighton, which has neither. I, You know what? I like Jeremiah Creighton better than this episode because at least stuff happened in it. Really? Yeah. Like, it was dumb stuff, but at least stuff happened. It's not just characters wandering around sets while lights flashed on them. Okay, you know what? I think I was being mean to Jeremiah Creighton when I said it has neither. I think Jeremiah Creighton probably has a strong plot and a weak theme. And I think maybe I just prefer episodes that have strong themes and weak plots to the alternative. Although, as I said, ideally, you have both. 
I don't think the narrative supports the theme enough, though. Again, it's all stuff we've seen done better in other episodes. Okay. So, John is wandering around, blindfolded. He lifts up the blindfold just, you know, to get a peek, and... Because he hears a noise. He hears, like, a weird noise coming from the maintenance bay above Pilot's den. Mm. And so he jumps up with his strong, strong Ben Browder arms. Yes, he uses his strong Ben Browder arms to get sucked into the blue zone. Yeah, so he basically found a hole into the blue zone above the above the desk in command. Now, in the blue light, it's, it's painful ringing. Yes. The first zone hurt his eyes. The second zone is hurting his ears. And again, there's no pilot here. Mm. And so John runs around in, in the blue light until he finds Aaron, who, again, they, they can't hear each other because of the the intense ringing. They do a pretty good job. I, I like this scene. I'll admit to liking this scene where they come up with a kind of very quick sign language. Yes. To communicate with one another. And, and they're, you know, they do a good job with it. Because Aaron and John are in sync. So they're able to kind of communicate to each other. I like the way Aaron mimes looking for Dargo. She like pulls out a giant sword. <laughs> and then when John doesn't get that, she like mimes the face and, and head tentacles. And then John mimes, like, a tiny floating guy for Rigel, and Aaron is just too busy laughing at it. John's, like, doing it more emphatically to be like, Rigel, you know, Rigel! And Aaron's like, you know, I get it, you're just, you're just so funny and cute, I can't, I can't with you right now. Honestly, I kind of feel like that was Claudia Black breaking and they just kept it in. I, it feels like that, doesn't it? Like, uh... The one scene in the season six finale in Buffy where she's telling Giles everything that's happened, you know, this season up to this point that brought them to where they are now. Uh And he starts laughing. I read, I don't know how accurate this is, but I read that that was just Anthony Stewart head breaking because of how ridiculous season six was. And they just kind of kept it in because they were like, you know, it it works. Uh, Speaking of the Judd Aptow-averse. Hmm. There's a similar scene in Freaks and Geeks where James Franco, after getting caught cheating on a test, tries to give the administrator this big sob story. And it's the same sob story that he had previously given to to Lindsay. And she's already heard his sob story before when, when he convinced her to help him cheat. So she realizes it's all like a lie and just starts cracking up and loses it. But apparently that was... That was the actress cracking up and losing it. That wasn't what was scripted, but they were like, no, I like that ending better. We'll just go with that. I mean, I used to, when I was a little kid, less less as an adult, but when I was a kid, I used to like laugh really hard when I got nervous. Oh, yeah. Same here. Yeah. It's weird how the convention is that we don't want actors to break in comedies and things like that, and... That's awkward because that's not how people are in real life. It's like when you remove the laugh track from Friends and it's just a bunch of people being really mean to each other and not responding to each other's like mean-spirited jokes. Well, I I read something about, it was a positive article about Bob's Burgers that was talking about how it's such a neat thing in Bob's Burgers, like other characters acknowledge when they're telling jokes and like react to those jokes and it's... This weirdly foreign thing, because normally comedies don't do that, but... And, and it, I think it says something that we remember and like the moments where somebody does actually have a genuine human response to things. Yeah. Also, Bob's Burgers is just a great show. 
It is. It really is. So, I'm sorry. We're talking about so much other stuff because nothing happens in this episode. So John goes back to the area where he got sucked into the blue light, thinking that he can get back to the red light there. But all of these doorways are one way. He pulls himself up with his strong Ben Browder muscles and does not get sucked into any other light. So Aaron mimes that... Looking for Dargo. Yeah, that she's going to go look for Dargo. Or, you know, that they need to go look for Dargo. Well, John is looking for Rigel, specifically. Like, but but they go off together. But this is, I mean, this is sort of my issue with this episode. It's literally the same scene we already got where they're like, we need to look for Darko and Rigel. And then they go into hallway. And then John does a pull-up. And then they're like, we need to look for Rigel and Dargo. Well, John thought that doing the pull-up would bring him into the red light again, but it didn't. Also, why would that be helpful, John? Well... John has already realized that Moya has split into various parts. But uh, they split off. John goes down one corridor and Aaron goes down the other. Which is a shame because John sees... I was going to say a monster, but it's not really a monster. It's like CGI slash marks in the air. It's yeah. very WB. Yeah, it... It might have been impressive for its day, but I'm kind of doubting it. I mean, they, they did what they had to do. I remember when Buffy, whenever Buffy is CG for any of its monsters, and you're like, nah, nah. That giant spider, Willow Flot, uh, season seven, the one that Anya summoned that ate people's hearts. Oh, yeah. Where you're like, no, no. Okay, so I was saying it was really, really CG Really 90s CG, but I just the second realized what it reminds me of. What? The logo for White Wolf. It looks like the logo for White Wolf transposed above the shot. Okay. The role-playing game? I, I, I know. I'm not familiar. I mean, I, I know of it. Okay, well, our, our, I assume a large contingent of our listeners know what I'm talking about. And uh, I'll show you when we're done. We'll go downstairs and I'll show you one of the many, many gaming books that have this monster on the cover, apparently. All right. So... John, while looking for Rigel, tries to pick something up and starts getting sucked into a different... Yeah, John found the doorway to Yellow Light Land, which is in Rigel's quarters. And I just want to say I like, he's in Rigel's quarters and he sees his dictaphone that Rigel has apparently stolen. Mm. So he reaches for that and that's where the doorway to Yellow Light Land is. But also in the background, we see the soul painting that Zan did of Rigel back in Thank God It's Friday again. It's nice continuity. Yeah, I like it. So, yeah, John reaches for his dictaphone, and he gets sucked into Blue Light Land, and he calls for Aaron. Sucked from Blue Light Land. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Sucked from Blue Light Land into Yellow Light Land. And he calls for Aaron, but uh, she doesn't hear him because it's, it's you can't hear anything here. Yeah. And she turns to find him, and, of course, he's gone. So, John is now in Yellow Light Land, where, whoa-oh, it's Rigel, and he's really, really high. Yeah, so, uh... So, you're blind, you're deaf, or you're high. These are the three dimensions. Those are the three dimensions, yes, yes. So, John finds Rigel, who is all, like, happy, and honestly, the best Rigel we've ever seen. I, I love he's like, oh, John, you look so confused. But, you know, like, in a cute way. You're so cute. I like High Rigel. It, it's fun. It's just, it's another everyone's high scene. Oh, several everyone's high scenes. 
Yeah. What's interesting here is um, Ben Browder seems pretty resistant to the highlight. He never really gets as high as everyone else. I mean, he gets kind of giggly, but he doesn't get as, like, wrecked as Rigel or later Gianna. I'm just saying, I think humans have, like, humans have a resistance to, to the light that gets you high because... Maybe because humans have so many of our own intoxicants. I don't get how... We have, how like, the, a tolerance. I, I don't get how this dimensional split thing works. All of these dimensions are exactly like the regular dimension, except... Okay, well, so they're not actually different dimensions. I mean, they, they are, but what it is is... When Moya... What we will discover it is, is when Moya went into Starburst, she never really came out of Starburst. So the, like, not being able to see, not being able to hear, getting kind of high, apparently always happens in Starburst. It's just that it happens for a split second. Hmm. And she's split into these three different components that have these different effects on various physiologies. It's like, to, to do a Star Trek thing, you know how the transporter, like, breaks up your code and then puts it back together? Mm-hmm. So this is like if your code was just floating out there and you could walk from piece of yourself to piece of yourself. Before okay. your code, like, got put back together. It's basically a transporter accident. Which, you know. Yeah. So, we've hit the fi- This is the third and final dimension, or aspect, or whatever. The one where the light is yellow and everyone's high. And this is all of the plot we're gonna get. It's just gonna be John going back and forth between these three dimensions. Ad nauseum for the next 30 minutes or so. Yeah, okay, basically. So, yes, John is in the yellow light now. And he's like he's no he notices that Rigel is like making jokes and laughing and he's laughing at Rigel's jokes and he's like something isn't right here. It's almost like being in this dimension has an effect on me just like being in the other dimensions had an effect on me, <laughs> except it takes him much longer to get to that conclusion. Well, what John also sees is he sees the monster again, the superimposed white wolf monster again and rigel doesn't see it just like aaron didn't see it it's like uh the avatars when they first showed up in charmed when they were those flying cgi monster heads that were chasing leo around no i was gonna say it's like that frog michigan j frog oh yes <laughs> where only john sees it everyone's like john you're just high off the light and uh john does say because john realizes that the Yellow light is starting to affect him. He says to Rigel, I've got to get out of here before I turn out like you. And Rigel says, what? Handsome and charming? Hi, Rigel's got some good comebacks. Yes. So he's just going to, you know, since he's high, he's just going to sit down and eat a lot, which isn't really different from normal Rigel. He has several stomachs. He has to eat. So John is wandering, wandering around in the high part of the ship, and he can't stop laughing because, you know, high... Yes, but then he hears the noise, the noise that he heard before, every time before he found a door. Mm. So he realizes he's going to find a door. Any titular lines? Yes, he says, okay, Alice, once more into the looking glass. Which, it, it's not a great parallel. I mean, the Wizard of Oz thing worked really well. This is just kind of like, okay, you're going through things to... Oh, I was going to say, because back in the 90s, it was like a rule where you couldn't get high without making an Alice reference. Because oh, the 90s was the heyday of, hey, hey, this story is really just about a bunch of people getting stoned, isn't it? Do you remember America McGee's Alice? I do. You know, that was going to be a movie at some point. 
That makes sense. I could see that. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that it didn't get off the ground. I mean, I know Tim Burton ended up doing his version of Alice in Wonderland, but like... I mean, that was pretty close. I mean, it, not close enough that it would be hard to make another one. Yeah. See, things like this just always remind me of an old Onion article mm-hmm. that was uh, uh, two men who are high think everyone else is high. Yeah. I remember that one. Yeah, which is just talking about how, you know, when you're high and you're watching TV, you're like, oh, man, they must have been so high when they made this. Talking dog, what were you smoking when you came up with that? We were eating rotisserie chicken. <laughs> exactly. And in, in, in that particular one, they're t- they're watching, uh, one of the things they reference in that particular article is Mr. Show with Bob and David, mm. where they're like, oh, they must have been so high when they wrote this. And it's like, actually, it's a really dense comedy with lots of interlocking parts so probably not probably not well that's the thing i i saw a thing with uh i think it was natasha algieri one of the adventure time people Mm -hmm. where someone was talking and she she was talking about uh the most annoying fan things and she's like one of the things that comes up a lot is people are like oh my god you must be so high it's like a show for high people and she's like it's it's not it's a show for kids. That's why it's so brightly colored and stuff. And But also it's like very, again, Adventure Time is very dense and also very dark. Not yeah. not a high show at all. Yeah, and she's like, you don't need to be high to draw cool stuff. In fact, it helps to not be high. Uh, I just think about this creative writing class I was in in college. And this kid came in with like the worst thing to be critiqued. Did he write it drunk because all of the best writers were alcoholics? Got it in one. Yes, exactly. And I, I mean, that's why Finnegan's wake is so great, right? I'm not getting into my Finnegan's wake thing. I hate Finnegan's wake so much. Have you read enough of Finnegan's wake to hate Finnegan's wake? If so, you've probably read more of Finnegan's wake than anyone I've ever met. I've read barely any amount of Finnegan's wake, but I, did a whole bunch of research on St. Crispin's Day or whatever it is. You, you know that thing. It's a thing where a bunch of people try to retrace the uh, the journey of the main character in Finnegan's Wake on the uh-huh. day that they've decided that the book takes place on. Uh-huh. And I'm like, he wasn't a good writer. It's all stream of consciousness garbage that people have been overanalyzing for decades. And that's why it's so well regarded. If if people had spent decades analyzing a Sabrina the Teenage Witch tie-in novel, it would be held as one of the standards of literary canon. Oh man, challenge accepted. <laughs> Let's get some Sabrina tie-in novels in here. I'm just saying, analysis is transformative. The works that people spend the most time talking about are well-regarded and, you know, they're deep because people have spent a lot of time reading stuff into them. Okay, so I have never read a single word of Finnegan's Wake, mm-hmm. but I like, I'm glad that it exists because I like the cultural, I, I, I think the culture requires that something like Finnegan's Wake exists. Ooh, it's a circular novel. If you read it to the end, then it starts over again at the beginning because it starts mid-sentence. Oh, no, I was like, how else do you know who to swipe left on on Tinder? Oh, yes. <laughs> God. I mean, I guess David Foster Wallace serves that purpose as well, which is not fair because I actually like David Foster Wallace. It's it's not his fault, but like... Did you finish Infinite Jest? No. That's a trick question. No one's finished <laughs> Infinite Jest. I did not finish Infinite Jest. I got like a quarter of the way through it. Yeah. I 
But, you know, when somebody's like, David Foster Wallace is my favorite writer, I'm like, all right, swipe left. Liar. He, he, he wrote other things. You don't have to have finished Infinite Jest to like him. I, I also, I also like, there's a book club in the Tom Robbins novel, Fierce Invalids Home from Hot Climates, mm-hmm. where they the book club is just people reading Finnegan's Wake, and they've been meeting for decades, and most of them are still on the first sentence. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's almost like someone who's a massive, massive alcoholic runs a lot of writes a lot of really long run on sentences for some reason. Wow. Oh, but he's a genius because it, I I don't want to get so, it. So yeah, I'm really interested though that you brought up Finnegan's Wake and and apparently your your strong negative feelings towards it. Well, your strong belief that James Joyce was drunk when he wrote it, mm. which may well be true. I I'm not going to question that. I haven't read Finnegan's Wake, mm. but. My big thing was I was thinking about Jack Kerouac and On the Road and how the legend that he got super high and wrote it on one night is almost certainly not true. Mm. He was almost certainly sober when he wrote it. It also has structural problems. Yeah, but he probably didn't no. bang it all out in one night. Yeah. Just like, I mean, if we're going to go even further back mm-hmm. uh, and talk about the Bronte sisters. Yes. When Charlotte Bronte wrote Withering Heights, everybody was like, oh, this is, this is... Not appropriate literature for women. Mm. And Emily was all like, oh, no, no, don't worry about my sister. She's just, she's just touched with the hysteria of being a woman. You know, she's got that, that womb hysteria that we get. And everybody was like, ah, oh, oh, I see. And I was like, yeah, okay. Are you saying that she didn't really have womb hysteria? <laughs> that is what I'm saying. Note how we're talking about literally anything other than this episode because nothing goddamn happens. Through the looking glass once more, John finds the place, the next doorway. And of course, that doorway is in that part of the ship where... Uh, where Dargo got shit out into space. It's in... the happy fun time slide. Yeah, it really is. But yes, it is to reference the uh, director's other episode, writer's other episode. The director's other episode. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's to reference it so much as it's... Yeah. Well, okay. One of the things I was reading was uh, an interview with the showrunners who were like, yeah, this is, I guess, technically a bottle episode, but... There are so many special effects and stuff in it that it doesn't do what a bottle episode is supposed to do, which is be a cheap, quick, easy episode. Mm. And, you know, this is one of the sets they had. So John does go through that that slide, and it takes him back to Prime Moya. Mm. And on Prime Moya, Chiana and Zan are on command, trying to find out from Pilot why it is that everybody keeps disappearing. And Pilot, John- what do you know about parallel realities, says John. Well, John shows up and he's like, okay, I got it. I've been here. I jumped all around. There's, you know, four Moyas all like Venn diagrammed together. Yeah. It's like a balloon and then something bad happens. <laughs> yes. Does this technically count as a there's something wrong with the ship? We have to fix the ship episodes. Yes, probably. Yeah. Also, yeah. we've been calling them like the red universe the blue universe and the yellow universe which they are and and that's what they call them in the show but what they are right is the magenta universe the cyan universe and the yellow universe they're they're split into their like component color parts yes so pilot explains what starburst is how they come in uh three flavors but people only really like the uh pink and the red ones no (laughs) he explains that when you're in starburst you're splitting yourself between dimensions so that's they just, they're still in the middle of Starburst. 
They are in the middle of Starburst. Well, it's 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 like how when Nightcrawler teleports, he goes through that hell dimension. Yeah, or uh, or magic. Yeah. How weird is it that like the X Men's two main teleporting characters both go through hell? It is weird. Although I guess it makes sense with them being magic and Nightcrawler. Mm. Pilot's like, okay, you guys, you were right. I shouldn't have tried to starburst. Moya shouldn't have tried to starburst. If you want to leave, we totally understand. And it's like, that's great, Pilot, but... That's not really an option at this point. (laughs) Yeah, we're kind of in the middle of this. Anyway, Pilot says that they have to, you know, back out. They have to reverse out of starburst to, to save themselves. Yes. Right now, they're in the space between spaces. Yeah. And something's coming for them. Yes. So John and Chiana and Zan are all going down to Pilot's den. And John is filling them in about the monster he saw. And they believe him because they're in a normal dimension, I guess. Sure. Chiana is... So they're all obviously worried about the monster. But mm. the they think it's a monster of this dimension. So the key thing is to get out of this dimension. There's a monster at the end of this episode. Yes! So, they need to reverse out, but they all need to reverse out simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And so, as I said, everyone's got to be in Pilot's Den in one of the dimensions and hit all of the right buttons at the same time so that they can all reverse out. Kind of reminds me of the exorcism they uh, tried to do in season two of Buffy when, uh, you know, the teacher-student relationship ghost. Oh, yeah, they had to do the same thing there, didn't they? Yeah, except they were all at different focal points of power throughout the school, but they all had to repeat the same phrase. Yeah. Uh, Pilot gives them the stakes, which is that if they screw up and they don't all do it simultaneously, then they will probably break all apart and everyone will molecularly disintegrate and die. And die. Not the best thing. Yeah. And we do have a moment where John is like, hey, Pilot, um, I know you just did this because you were trying to prove yourself to us. And Pilot's like, I feel bad enough, John. But John is owning it. John's like, you know what? We were really insensitive to be talking about whether or not you were worth living with while you were completely surrounding us and absolutely 100% able to hear everything we were saying. I know the characters have interacted with Pilot before, but I do really like when John's next to him. Yeah. You get a scale for how big Pilot is, which is weird because I feel like he seemed smaller when Dargo cut off his arm that one time. I love the Pilot Puppet, and I love whenever they interact with the Pilot Puppet other than through the clamshell. It's, mm. yeah, absolutely. Um, the scenes when Aaron is down with the pu- with the puppet, I, yeah, I, I'm with you there, 100%. I just, I feel like a lot of the stuff they've had with Pilot, they haven't been, like, interacting with the puppet so much so it's kind of hard to tell scale wise but pilot is a large puppet yeah they don't do it on on every episode and i i like i appreciate the episodes where they do it must be difficult to use that puppet with people around yeah so the fiery claws go whizzing through the ship and they kind of stop right in front of john and it holds on the shot way too long because it's like it's rushing at john and then it hovers in front of John for about four or five seconds, which is just a touch too long. Then we cut to commercial, and when we come back, John's like, boy, that was a scary thing that happened on the bridge. Apparently, it's not happening anymore. Yeah. So I feel like a commercial break probably would have helped this. It would have made it feel less anticlimactic that, oh, no, the monster's about to get John. 
hard cut to, woo, I sure am glad the monster didn't get me. It is a weird cut. It is, it is a weird way to do it. It's true. The what reason- is this? A Goosebumps book? <laughs> oh, burn on R.L. Stein. And also on Farscape by mm. comparing it to R.L. Stein. <laughs> so... This is the reason they do this, though, is to decide that the three of them are not going to go together anymore. Zan is going to stay behind to protect Pilot. If the monster comes back, she's going to shoot it, and he's going to take Chiana with him. And the reason he's taking Chiana with him is because he doesn't know if Aaron and Dargo are still okay, so he might have to set, you know, them up to... Yeah, he might need another set of hands to do what needs to be done. Right. I mean, presumably he might need two other sets of hands. So by leaving Zam behind, he's really hoping that either Aaron or Dargo is okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can Pilot not protect himself? Like, Not really. He's like tied down onto the ship. Yeah, but I mean, is Zan going to be that much more helpful? I mean, Pilot can hold a gun, presumably, right? We never see him hold a gun. His main protection... And he has claws. Mm. Click, click, click. His main protection is uh, the DRDs that he can't communicate with as long as he's in this weird split. Mm. John does ask Zan if she's going to be willing to shoot things now that she's a priest. And she says, even if I were a full Pau again... Yeah, okay. Because they've been going back and forth on whether or not she's a Pau. Like, in some episodes she is, in some episodes she's not anymore. Now she's apparently split the difference and she's partially a Pau now. She says, though, even if I were a full Pau, I would still shoot the fuck out of that monster. Okay, so how does that... Yeah, you only have to be non-violent when it's necessary. If someone's attacking you, it's fine. I was going to say, being a Pau seems like the sort of thing you either are or are not. Oh. It's it's not like you can be like, oh, I'm a part-time priest. Well, I think she's she doesn't consider herself... A fully trained one anymore because she's not like at peace mentally. She's like a disgraced Paul. I was more thinking about honestly this Shadowrun game I used to play, mm-hmm. and one of the characters took the flaw of pacifism, mm-hmm. and so he he got the points for taking the flaw of pacifism. But he was like, "Yes, I'm a pacifism. I only hurt anything if it's absolutely necessary." It's like that's not pacifism. If if you're only a pacifist when it's convenient, that's not pacifism. Especially because he found it necessary to hurt things a lot. He was like, well, we're on a mission where we're being paid and we wouldn't get paid if we didn't do what we needed to do. And if we don't get paid, we're going to starve to death. So my life is in danger if I don't shoot these guards. Boo, faulty logic. It made me so angry every time. Every time. I was like, if you're going to play a pacifist, man, play a pacifist. See, you don't want to talk about this episode either. I'm just really angry at that guy. He's also my ex. I don't know if that's related. Mm. So they're in the red dimension, but Chiana's having less difficulty than John. I love how she's kind of like bragging about it. They find Dargo and he's put like a face shield in front of his eyes and he says it barely helps. And Chiana's like, ha, I am clearly a superior alien race because I am totally cool here. No problem here. And John explains what's happening to Dargo and tells Dargo that he's going to have to, you know. You have to hit the button, you know, in X amount of time. As he's giving Dargo directions, there is another... Claw attack? Yeah, it's not really an attack, right? As claw we will, appearance. As we will learn. Yeah, just another claw appearance. And uh, 
they see that something's trying to come through, or at least they believe something's trying to come through. So they all pull out their guns and start shooting at it, and it retreats, I guess. Like, it stops glowing. And they're like, yay, we did it! But John is like, um... I don't, I don't know if I'd say we did. It doesn't feel like we did anything. Yeah, Dargo point. Dargo's like, that wasn't really a fight. It just kind of watched us and then left. That's not a victory. Yeah, we're I'm all... from a warrior race, and this is not what victory tastes like. Yeah, we're all really uh, tuxedo mask over here. Mm. So John gives Dargo instructions and leaves him there, tells him in half an hour... Start up reversing the engines, and he and Chiana are going over into the blue universe. The blue universe. The blue universe. Yeah, and it turns out all of Chiana's, hey, look at how much this doesn't affect me in the red universe is coming back to bite her in the ass because she is messed up in the blue universe. Yeah, it's kind of weird how when they went into the red universe, they didn't do the like weird trippy camera effect thing they did when John first went into it. I guess he's more used to it now. Right. And in fact, they're doing the trippy effect, but they're mostly focusing it on Shiana so that you see how badly it's affecting Shiana. She can't even move. Like, John has to throw her over his shoulder and like, carry her. Is this a fireman's carry? Yes. I believe that is a fireman's carry. So he's just running around looking for Aaron as Shiana is screaming. Luckily, he can't hear because this is the dimension where you can't hear. Yeah, because she would be screaming like right in his ear, right? Oh my god, you know what this is? What? Do you remember when you used to uh, have to plug in a video game and you'd have the one thing for the video and the one thing for the audio? Yes. This is that. This is you trying to plug in your N64. Oh, they're traveling down the aux cords. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's... Okay. So he runs and brings Chiana to Rigel's quarters where the door to the yellow universe is so he can just like toss her into the yellow universe and then he goes looking for Aaron. But before he finds Aaron, he sees some more alien claw marks. Mm, some more glowing CGI. And also, as he's looking at them, he's starting to put something together. Mm. He's starting to figure something out. But it's interrupted by Aaron shooting at it. Yeah. And also, Aaron's got a headset. And she's like, hey, I figured it out. We should just wear headsets. And he's like, oh, look at you being a little scientist. And she's like, it's a headset, John. Put on the headset. And she's like, look, put two and two together making four doesn't exactly make me a physicist here. Yeah, she's also like, it, it, it kind of diminishes your, your praise if you're praising me for putting on a headset. So, yeah, put on the headset. This whole episode is just repeating the same thing over and over again. He repeats the same thing. We're in three different dimensions. And to get out of these dimensions, we're all going to have to, you know, reverse, blah, blah, blah. I, I do like this. At the same time, or we'll be curploaded. Yes. I do like that he starts to give Aaron the directions on how to reverse out. And Aaron's like, um, I have pilot DNA. I know how to drive this ship. And John's like, uh, well, just let me tell you just in case. And then she tells him how to reverse out. And he's like, okay, I guess you do know. She's Oof. like, she's like, thank you. Your mansplaining is not welcome here. Thank you. That killed another 45 seconds. We didn't have to come up with something to actually happen. I, I do... Really like this moment, though, because he's like, wow, I, I guess it's going to be harder to doubt you in the future. And she says, well, I'm sorry for being so awesome. And I, I don't know. I just I, I like that little moment between them. OK, so John jumps into the uh, yellow dimension. You know, he sees the claws and he's like, 
Eh, I'll deal with that later. <laughs> Jumps into the yellow dimension, which is a lot brighter than usual. Well, the light that was outside is, like, coming into the ship now. Hmm. And this is a problem because, like, in the yellow dimension, there are places in the ship he can't go now. Presumably that's also c- true in the blue dimension and the red dimension. So, like, the the ship is not just split, but now it's, like, actively being swallowed up by whatever the bright light was outside. Hmm. Yeah. It's like the Langoliers. It's exactly like the Langoliers. You know, right the, down to the terrible CGI. You know, the best loved Stephen King property, the Langoliers. Oh my god, that TV movie. The the Langoliers were like the worst oh, nom, nom, CGI nom. ever. They eat time. Also, that movie starred Bronson Pinochet, which is hilarious to me. Uh, do you mean Balky from Perfect Strangers? I do mean Balky <laughs> from Perfect Strangers. A show I am completely unfamiliar with outside of people making fun of it because of Balky. I feel really bad for Bronson Pinochet because I feel like he's at this weird point where he did this random sitcom in the 80s. And now anytime he's on anything, it's like, ha, ah, it's Balky. It's fine. He, he's standing tall. On the wings of his dreams. Is that from the theme song? Yeah, you know, standing tall. I don't actually know the theme song to Perfect Strangers. I'm pretty sure it's the theme song to Perfect Strangers. It's a show I've never seen, but I'm familiar with almost entirely through people making fun of it on the internet. But it has this theme song that goes weirdly, like, hardcore optimistic. Should Should we watch a couple of episodes of Perfect Strangers? I don't know, maybe. I mean, I, I remember watching it when I was a kid, so I, I have vague memories of it. I, I Again, only through people making fun of it. The Simpsons clip of him proposing to that goat. Balky. Oh, man. Was that a thing? No, I'm just... I, I remember... It's probably... There's probably some really questionable stuff. Cause oh, he, it's an 80s sitcom. It's going to be a hot garbage fire of problematic well, elements. It's an 80s sitcom specifically about a guy from a fictional Mediterranean country doing a fish out of water in New York City thing. It's... Yeah. It's got... It's not good. I bet it's not good. He's not from the Balkans? No, he's not bulky from the Balkans. He's from... I, I believe... I believe... If my memory is correct, the fake country that he's from is called Mipos. Yes, that sounds right. So this isn't the Perfect Strangers podcast. Is it not? <laughs> it could, it, maybe it is now. No. <laughs> no, John goes into Pilot's Den in the Yellow Universe and finds Chiana and Rigel there, which is really convenient, honestly, that they're they're there. That she found him right away and... Yeah. And they're just... And was not high enough to remember that she was supposed to drag him down to the den. Mm. So they're just watching Cheech and Chong movies and Pilot's Quarters, eating Cheetos, and so on and so forth. Yeah, basically. John explains to them how to get Moya to reverse out, and of course they're both super high, so he's like, oh, no, this is not good. And he's like... He's like, please take this seriously. Stop being high for like two seconds because this is super serious. But of course, you know, they're super high. I Okay, I do like the joke Rigel makes about a Hylian highborn never going in reverse. Yes, he says Hynerians never go in reverse. And then he he makes up a song and he sings it about, about Dominar Rigel going in reverse. 
I like high Rigel. Like, I know that you're tired of how often people on this show get high, but Rigel would really benefit from being high more often. Yeah. It's like that episode of The Office where Dwight gets a concussion and is all of a sudden tolerable. Yes. It's just, John goes through the whole explanation for a third time. You don't need to show that. It just kind of reminds me of, did, did you see that SNL sketch about Game of Thrones? Yes! Oh my gosh, you're right. It is like that <laughs> SNL Game of Thrones sketch where, like, those episodes of Game of Thrones that are just exposition that we already know over and over again. Yeah, it is kind of like that. So, John goes back to the main... Prime, the Prime Moya. And explains what's going on to Zan, who already knows. Okay, wait, but there is an important thing here, which is that Zan is wearing her Pau vestments because she has decided that she's she's a Pau now. Fuck it. Yeah, she's like, look, if we're going to die, I probably should be in full priest mode when that happens, you know, to hedge my bets a little. Smart, right? Pascal's wager. Yeah. So the light is growing. There's more and more places in the ship they can't get to because of the light. And uh, they run to pilot for help. And the the glowing claws are just all willy-nilly all over the place. Okay, but again, John is starting to realize something about the claws. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, we just know that from his face. He He hasn't actually said it out loud yet. Yes. I... I feel like the thing he realizes about the claws is not a kind of thing that you could figure out watching this show, though. But that's okay. Pilot says that they can definitely get out of Starburst. He says they can probably get out of Starburst. They can probably get out of Starburst if Moya loses the baby. Which John Day's credit is like, no, that's not even a conversation. We're not not even going to discuss that. I think the interesting thing is he's talking about how Moya is willing to lose the baby to keep them. Because when she found out she was pregnant, she almost killed them all, you know, to save the baby. So it is a nice character moment for Moya. Yeah. But... They're becoming a crew in this episode. Anyway, the beast reappears and Zan pulls out her gun. But now John shares what he's realized about the slash marks. Yes, it's the whatever is trying to communicate with them, not attack them. And Zan's like... It's trying to communicate with us, not attack us. And he's like, you bet your blue ass. Because for some reason, people... He's really obsessed with Zan's blue ass. Lots of people are. Yeah, I guess Rigel is too. Rigel mentioned it in that teenager she tried to seduce in that one episode. Eh. What John noticed is that all of the slash marks are grouped in prime numbers. Mm. This is a sci-fi trope, and I like it, which is that math is a universal language. This has a real Phantom Tollbooth thing. Where you never read the Phantom Tollbooth. I never read the Phantom Tollbooth. Okay, so the whole thing is that this kid goes into this, like, world where there are all of these lands that are based on concepts. Mm -hmm. And, like, there are these two kings. One of them rules over a land of letters and the other one rules over a land of numbers. And, like, they're feuding. And the the king in the land of numbers is, like, he's never responded to me. Like, I... I sent him this perfectly lovely uh, seven and he never said anything back. And Milo's like, I don't get what it's supposed to mean. And the guy's like, it means seven. <laughs> it just kind of reminds me of that. The Oh, that's funny. There's a Stargate episode where an alien species puts kind of a a test for for their people mm-hmm. in, inside of this monument where they can identify pi. That's when they'll know that they've advanced enough that they can, like, be uplifted and meet the meet the Norse gods that are actually the aliens because it's Stargate and that's how Stargate works. Yeah. So 
we get a bunch of they're trying to communicate they're trying to communicate it's trying to communicate is it trying to communicate i think it's trying to communicate anyway john's gonna jump into the light because that's how that's what that's how john does yes john's going to jump into the light and then he's gonna have a conversation with some higher alien beings because that's just how we're resolving all of these episodes now it is it is yeah, and the higher alien beings are basically the beings who live in this dimension. The dimension that you jump into when you starburst. Space whale. Yeah, I, well, I mean, more is a space whale, but honestly, these look more like space jellyfish. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I guess it's actually more kind of space cephalopod. I, yes, space cephalopods. Okay, so credit to this episode. I really like the design of this. It's weird how the last episode had the same sort of scene with John and the weird cricket alien, and that gave me a headache, but this John is doing the same thing. He's talking to an alien in this nether zone, Mm -hmm. and it's all just overlays over, overlays over, overlays, but I think it works so much better. Well, and it's showing John is in... All four universes at once when he's talking to this thing, right? He's in the blue universe, the red universe, the the yellow universe. And the thing basically tells him that it's it's his job. And you're right. Yeah, it looks like a looks like a jellyfish or a cephalopod. But like the bulb, the main part of it is a brain looking thing. Yeah, it's it's a really cool design. And it I feel like its design really helps sort of the tone of this. Like. The last one gave me a headache because it kept on fading to black and then coming back. Mm-hmm. But this gives it this kind of... This, Floaty? I was, this is going to sound bad, but nice screen savory. Oh, it does look like a nice screen saver. Anyway, it tells John that its job is to get rid of things that wander into its dimension by mistake. Usually it's not living things, so... It, yeah, it feels bad about this. Yeah, it doesn't want to kill them. It wants them to leave, but it doesn't want them to die. It says that it can push them out of the starburst, but they need to provide their own thrust, which means they need to not be going backwards, they need to be going forwards. And now we get about seven minutes of John repeating this information over and over and over again to everyone. Yep, he has to go to all of the places he was before and say, the thing I told you to do, do the backwards of that. Don't go backwards, go forwards. We all need to go forwards at the same time. It's like an RPG where they make you go back and do the same levels again, but in reverse. I don't know that I've ever done an RPG where I did that. It's definitely a thing. Or maybe it's a thing in, like, uh, I don't know. It's definitely a thing, though, in some video games that are, like, desperate to pad out their runtime. Oh, I mean, I'm sure it is. That, that is, yeah. So, they all, again, they all have to do it simultaneously. So, he tells Pilot to wait 500 seconds. And then he starts counting off while he's running, which I like. I like that he's, like, counting off the amount of seconds. And when he finds Dargo, this is this is a classic bit, where he finds Dargo and tells him he needs to do it in 300 Seconds. seconds. And Dargo's like, I don't have a timepiece with me. And this is when John teaches him one Mississippi. Two, two Mississippi. Mississippi. Which which Dargo says is one Mipapippi. Two Mipapippi. It takes up the same amount of time. It does. It's fine. But this is a classic bit. And then they'll do things where they have to simultaneously do things. And counting Mississippi is going to be a thing that now Dargo has learned how to do. Dargo has the skill counting one Mississippi now. Aaron, on the other hand, appears to have like an internal chronometer because when he's talking to Aaron, he's like, you have to do this in 200 seconds. 
And then he gives her a little bit of instruction and he's like, remember, 200 seconds. And she's like, well, 153 now. Yeah. So Aaron, <laughs> Aaron just knows. <laughs> it is a good, uh, it works. Yeah. So then he goes into the high dimension to talk to the high twins. <laughs> the high twins. And Chiana's kind of flirting with John. She's like, come on, John. It's real fun in here. Why don't you have fun with me, John? And John's like, I'm trying to make us not die, Chiana. Actually, Chiana's like, come on in here. And there's seven seconds left, right? So John's going to do it himself here in the yellow dimension. Mm -hmm. And John says, give me seven seconds and we'll come together. And it's like, John! (laughs) John is going to have sex with every vaguely female-looking alien that crosses his path. John! But it's, it's... it's dirty but yeah seven seconds goes by he he pushes the button down and Chiana's like yes very my goodness yes push that button push it i do like rigel's like should i disrobe so that the moment is more memorable honestly hi rigel is the best thing well i do like how Chiana and rigel are both kind of rubbing themselves (laughs) against john yeah so all of the colors come together and suddenly no one's high or deaf or blind. And they are all together because they were all in the... They're all in the same room. They're all in pilot's uh... yeah, den. Amazing that none of them are like fused into each other. Seriously. So, so, you want Neelixes? This is how you get Neelixes. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or Jeff Goldblum's The Flies. Yes. So everyone starts laughing and... Well, I mean, they're all, like, just so relieved to be alive and that it all worked. And Pilot's like, what is wrong with all of you? Pilot's like, we almost died. What the hell? Freaking, freaking carbon-based life forms and also Xan. Is Pilot not carbon-based? I guess he is carbon-based. So we're basically in a reflection of the first scene, except everyone's happy now. And they're like, you know what? We're going to stay together. Yeah, they're, they're, it's the same thing. They're all having a big meal together again. And they're all, like, talking about their past. They're, like, sharing stories. Chiana is telling a story about something very uh, revolutionary that she did. And she's, like, ask Zan if she's shocking her. And Zan is, like, like, girl, I have done things that would curl your hair. And I like that because we we had the moment where they were really at each other's throat. And now Zan and and Zan's finally admitting that she and Chiana maybe have more... More uh, alike than than different. Mm. So, yeah, everyone's decided that they're going to be a big, happy space family. Except apparently when one of them leaves at the end of every season from this point on. Yeah. Also, they're they're eating John's food again. Remember, his fried chicken did not work. And uh, he also made biscuits for them. I, I, I like this. Because they're all like, these are disgusting, John. What is in them? And he's like, um, well, they're biscuits. So flour, salt, shortening, buttermilk, honey. And Zan's like, we don't have any of that on board. And John says, that might be why they don't taste good. <laughs> Which is hilarious to me. What What did you feed these people, John? <laughs> what, what in the world did you give them? Seriously. And then everyone just starts throwing uh, biscuits at John like this is community or or, or that restaurant in Texas where you where you throw biscuits at people. That doesn't sound like a place I'd want to go. No, 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 no. It's like a, it's like a thing where the, where when you're there, you're like, 
hey, like, apparently their biscuits are really good. And when or, they're not biscuits, they're, they're it's not biscuits, it's rolls. But apparently they're really good. And when you're there, you're like, hey, can I get some more rolls here? And you like put up your hand, and like the waiter throws you like a bag of rolls, like it's like a thing. Yeah. I thought it was a restaurant where the theme was you got your waiter's attention by throwing rolls at them. No, it, you know, it's funny. Like, it would be horrifying if it was a restaurant where you threw things at the waiters. Like, I would I, I would hate that. But a restaurant where waiters throw things at the people, I'm like, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. So everybody is happy. And Pilot's like, how can you be happy after we almost just died? And they're like, well, that's. That's how that works, Pilot. That's how that works with most people. When when you almost die, you you get happy because you didn't die. And Pilot's like, okay, also, um, Moya's water broke. So the baby is coming. Yes. Not 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 today because we wanna hold things off, but Pro- any second. Probably at some At the most inconvenient time. Yes. Because that is how this sort of thing works. Yes. And everyone starts toasting the baby from inside of the mom. Well, they're really excited. They're like, there's going to be a kid. So is Moy's kid going to be like a character? Talon. Yeah. Talon will be a character. And then it ends on a freeze frame of everyone laughing. Yeah. Okay. This was so boring. Okay. They're like... A few good moments in it, but this might be one of my least favorite episodes we've done thus far. Nothing happens. And then they talk about nothing happening, and then they repeat nothing happening. They had like 15 minutes of material for this episode. Okay, I like what this episode did, especially if you just take the first scene and the last scene, where you see how they grew together as a crew, as a cohesive unit. In fact, at the beginning, they're telling John, nothing nothing in the rule book says we have to be a cohesive unit. And by the end, they're like, yay, Moya's having a baby right now. We're all going to be aunts and uncles because we're found family. It feels like in it feels like that wasn't their dynamic before. Like, it was their dynamic in the beginning of the show, but they've been through so much since then. And it feels like they're like, okay, we have to go back to a prior dynamic so that we can have this fake advancement. See, the way I see it is they had reached a point where they were cohering as a crew, but they needed an episode where they justified, okay, but wait, why are these people not splitting up? Like, why why is Dargo not getting off at the next commerce planet and hiring Han Solo to take him to the place where his son is i don't think that this episode did a good job of establishing why though it just had them oh we're all briefly separated and then we're happy to be back together like again it was an emotional journey was it we don't see them have any emotions other than we're angry at the beginning and we're happy at the end like nothing develops they're just in one emotional state and then they're in another emotional state later Okay, so you know what it's actually making me think of now as we discuss it? What? Uh, speed. Okay. Okay. Uh, follow up on that. You've seen Speed, right? Yes. I, I... So you remember in Speed when uh, Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves start making out and they're like, oh, you know, it's probably bad to base relationships on intense near-death experiences. And Sandra Bullock's like, well, then I guess we'll have to just base one on really, really hot sex and then they're not together in the next movie. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. I just, 
it does it feels like the emotional finale was aggressively unearned we don't see them they're not missing each other or anything when they're in separate dimensions they're not having any emotional arcs at all it's just john running between dimensions telling people stuff you know i was hoping that i would be able to talk you around on this episode but actually you talked me around (laughs) sorry so next week (laughs) two weeks from now so two weeks from now we'll be talking about a bug's life and here's the plot synopsis for A Bug's Life. Mm-hmm. When a group of peacekeepers from a damaged marauder board Moya, the crew pretend to be a peacekeeper prison vessel. Oh, that sounds really cool. Also, remember how I told you that, like, people change outfits periodically? Oh, is this where John gets his iconic outfit? Yes, because it's the peacekeeper outfit. Okay, I, I, I want to go back for just a little bit. Okay. I feel like this had the bones of a really good episode, and there were some really cool things in it. Mm-hmm. it's just the plot needed to be about those things like i don't think that they should have had the different dimensions affect you emotionally it should have been just about them being isolated in their own dimensions and how it affects them being separated from one another since the crux of the episode is supposed to be about why these people need to stay together yeah i mean i told you at the beginning that i i thought thematically this episode worked really well even if from a plot point it didn't and talking about it now i'm like yeah like two or three rewrites and this could have been a really strong episode where the themes actually were serviced by a plot that justified them i mean like 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 what you said conceptually it's a really strong episode the characters are occupying the same space but they're not together and that makes them realize how much they need each other It's just they don't focus on the emotional journeys that the characters are going through to get from point A to point B. I see it. Yeah, I see it. But the, like, extra-dimensional creature looked really cool. It might be one of my favorite alien designs, and that's from a show that does really cool puppets. Yes. I I was gonna... I was wondering if we should skip over our segments this week, but I guess... Because I I don't think there's really any world-building here. Yeah. And there, I, I, I see that there's not a looking for a way home for you this week. Not, not, not particular. So we should just pause briefly to acknowledge that this strange alien creature did actually work for you. Yeah, it looked amazing. <laughs> Which is especially weird given how like cheap and bad the CGI claw things were. Yeah. But as soon as we got to the creature itself, it was like this. I think it being video effects. Like, I, I'm almost 100% sure that they just got, like, found a really cool fabric pattern and put some moving balls under it and then just did cool stuff with video overlays. Well, I mean, it's the Jaws thing, right? Like, the less you show of it, the cooler you can make it. But the thing is, like, you see it a lot. It's just, it's constantly moving and the camera's just refocusing over and over again. So even though it's on screen, you can't get a clear look at yeah, it. Yeah, you can't take it all in at once. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really cool thing, and I mean, honestly, it aged better than a lot of stuff on this show because it's just usually using practical effects to make this very trippy monster. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that'll do it for this week. Yeah, I guess that'll about do it. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link, become one of our patrons. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode... 
or any episode or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs>